Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very excited to be talking about owning your own genomic data. We have Dennis Grishin joining us on the show. Hello. It's my pleasure to be here. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. We are very excited to be featuring you. We're also very grateful that we ended up finding each other after we did the interview with George Church at the lab and then you were like, hey, I'm going to be in the Bay Area. We want to, yeah, we want to talk about nebula genomics and I'm, I'm very excited to be talking about this with you. It's a pivotal time in the field of, of, of genomic data and, and the way that we can do so many of the things the right way the first time going through it. So for those that don't know, Dennis's background, he spent two years, the last two years as the co-founder and chief science officer at Nebula Genomics. He, which is a privacy-focused personal genomics company. Also, he's a PhD candidate at Harvard Medical School doing genomic data privacy. And a lot of interesting steps have happened to get there in, in, your, in your journey, which we're gonna get to. Dennis, teach us about your thoughts on the current state of humanity. Uh, interesting question. So um, I think we are living in an interesting time. Uh, maybe I start with kind of a historical perspective on that um, and, you know, tell you where we are in terms of technological advancement. Um, so if you think uh, how far we ca have come and think back in, you know, 18th century, you know, think about steam machine, that's when uh, I think human civilization really started to take off technologically. Um, then throughout the 19th century we had, uh, uh, you know, further developments of, of, of um, of tools that have uh, you know facilitated us to do more work more easily um, then chemistry had its big time in the 19th century we figured out how you know synthesize all types of different uh, compounds and use them for different cases whether it's you know just colors or medicine um, then in the early first half of the 20th century physics had its big uh, big time with you know relativity theory quantum mechanics uh, unfortunately culminating in the atomic bombs um, then the second half of the 20th century, we had you know, the digital age, starting with the invention of the transistor and then culminating in the internet. And I think today, uh, many people believe we are entering the age of um, biotech yes. or biology, of essentially using what we learned in the previous centuries in uh, technologies that we have developed to better understand biology, specifically human biology, and uh, actually applying that to make, you know, as with all other types of technology, just our lives better, longer, uh, and you know more comfortable. Um, and part of this, you know, biological biotech revolution is, I think, genomics revolution uh, that has been uh, driven by the decreasing costs of human genome sequencing. And uh, this is essentially what has enabled companies like Nebula Genomics uh, to be. Yes, yes. I love your big history perspective really gives the last multi, multiple hundred years into a, into a very, you know, you're following the technological impacts that have, uh, that have taken place on society and then you bring us all the way up to, to this biotech explosion that's, that is being talked about as a $100 trillion explosion in the 21st century and I'm like, wow. Uh, that's crazy that that all of these potentials exist in you know in all aspects of healthcare, agriculture, all it's everywhere. The way that um, that it that the impact is coming in, and so now 
you, you know, you also mentioned, especially in biology, it's this Carlson curve, kind of like Moore's law, the sequencing has dropped in price so much. And I think that that is a, that's a very, very important reason why companies like Nebula can actually exist and have the mission that they, that they do today, which I know we'll get to and unpack. Now, Dennis, when, you know, when you find yourself uh, you know, being born in Azerbaijan and going to Germany and then coming to, you actually went to Japan too, did yeah. some work there. Brief and stint in Japan. Brief stint in Japan. And then to the East Coast, to Harvard. You know, tell us about, you know, you as a kid and, and picking up your interests. Yeah, so um, I think uh, when I grew up, uh, I always wanted to be a scientist. So my father is a, is a chemist uh, who has been, you know, teaching at the university when I was growing up in Baku. Uh, my, my mother uh, uh, got the education of an engineer. Um, and worked briefly in that profession. So I think I've kind of very early decided that I want to kind of do science. Um, and then a little bit later in my life, I also realized that I want to do something translational. So not only, you know, do science in the lab and publish papers, but actually uh, try to bring out my work out of the laboratory and to have it more impact. Um, and yeah, so uh, I, I, I grew up in Baku, as you said, and then my family moved to Germany. Uh, where we went to middle school, high school, um, and received my undergrad degree from the University of Freiburg. Um, and did you know then that you wanted to do the bio in biology around that time? Were you figuring that out? Yeah, uh, well, uh, the, the university system in Germany is a bit different than in the US. So you have actually to decide exactly one, what you want to be even before you apply. Uh, so, you, so it's you know much more focused. Uh, just think has advantages and disadvantages. But when I was applying for for college, I uh, was applying for a specific biology program. Biology. So I wanted to be you know scientists in the field of biomedicine, generally speaking. Um, and um, during the course of my undergrad studies, um, I think I uh, wanted more than just to be a typical biologist. Uh, I increasingly got interested in technology and how we can use that technology to uh, essentially better study biology and then also apply what we learned. Um, I, I got a second degree, a second undergrad degree, which in what is essentially electrical engineering. Um, and um, after that, uh, wanted to get some experience abroad. Uh, went, went to Japan, as you mentioned before, for, for a few months. Um, worked there on some uh, microfluidics technology yes. uh, for essentially to enable sequencing of single cells. Um, spent a few months working on that. And microfluidics to enable sequencing of a single cell. Yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's uh, yeah, also an emerging, uh, emerging field. Uh, um, so far, you know, when people have been talking about sequencing, they were they had what they had in mind is just sequencing of bulk samples. So, you know, you just take like, you know, a bunch of cells like from saliva or from blood or some kind of tissue and then just sequence all of them, assuming they're all the same. Yeah. But uh, as we have found out in the last few years, that's not the case. Uh, there are differences uh, between the cells uh, on, on different levels, uh, whether it's, you know, the genome, the epigenome uh, or the transcriptome. Um, so more and more research is happening on kind of really figuring out how individual cells work uh, uh, on those different levels. Uh, and yeah, I was working, uh, well, I did some very early initial work on a device to, you know, 
isolate single cells to be able to sequence them. So that's what I worked on in Japan. Mm -hmm. and, and after that, um, I came to Boston uh, to the laboratory of, of you know, Professor George Church, where I'm, I'm right now a PhD student. Uh, so back then, I just came for a, for a brief internship. Um, and um, I w worked back then on you know, CRISPR. That was just, you know, just invented literally a year before. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it was an exciting time uh, and, a, and a place to be. Um, and during that time, in, a, in, in addition to doing just research in the lab, I also got involved, uh, I guess, just as a student intern with another one of his, George's startup companies. Um, and uh, really liked this experience of, you know, doing research in the lab and then translating it into a company, into yes. a product. Yes. Um, and I liked that and also generally doing research in George's lab. So I decided I want to stay here and I want to get, you know, my, my PhD degree in this laboratory and then possibly even start a company with, uh, ideally with George at some point <laughs> yeah. later. Um, so I applied uh, uh, to Harvard, to MIT uh, for PhD programs uh, with the goal of coming back uh, to George's lab to do my PhD thesis work. Um, so this unfortunately fortunately worked out. Um, and then in 2015, I started my, uh, my PhD studies in George's laboratory, yeah. um, initially working on some sequencing technology to um, essentially be able to resolve some regions of the human genome that uh, remain unsequenced to date. So we kind of tend to say, oh, we, we have sequenced the human genome, right? But it's not entirely true. We actually sequenced only like 95% of it, and there's still 5% that remain missing that we're actually unable to sequence with a, with a currently available technology due to some limitations, which I don't want to go into. Mm -hmm. But I was working on a, on a way to overcome this. Um, and um, while working on this, um, what I think I realized is that while it's kind of important to get the missing 5%, what is more important to actually bring out the technology that we already have that we can use to get the 95% to be just used much more broadly, to so kind of bring it out of the laboratory, out of academic research, and have more people sequence their genomes and you know share the data, uh, which and you know accomplishing that has been been George's I think life goal, that mission for for decades. Uh, he, he you know he helped develop this technology that brought the costs down of whole, of, of sequencing from hundreds of millions of dollars to to less than one thousand dollars today. Um, but so far, it's you know really mostly used in academia. Uh, very few people uh, actually did any kind of genetic testing, especially not whole genome sequencing. And you know, I usually ask this question when I give talks: so Who of you, you know, did any kind of genetic testing, whole genome sequencing? And usually, nobody raises a hand. Uh, so that's 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 a problem that George has been trying to solve yes. for a very long time. So I decided essentially to start a company with a goal of addressing uh, that problem, and. We asked ourselves, what are you know the issues that essentially deter people from getting sequenced, and uh, what we came to understand is that, for example, privacy concerns have yeah. become an increasing, uh, increasing issue, especially in the past few years. Um, uh, and um, it's crazy that that took the number one seat over money, that privacy took the number one seat. Yeah. yeah I, so, so, you know. Money is, uh, I think, second, close second, yes, and yes. that's you know also one of the things that we're trying to address, bringing the costs close to, 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 to zero, and uh, we are already on the right trajectory because yes. the costs are coming down, but the privacy concern is actually on the opposite trajectory, <laughs> it's <actually> growing. <laughs> the more data we generate, yeah. uh, the more, you know, the more entities there are 
who are interested in that data yeah. and the more concerns are, are, are coming up. Um, so we realize this is an unmet need and there's a, there's a problem to be solved. And, uh, and we also have actually the technology to do that. Uh, so we decided to kind of bring together the field of you know, DTC, direct-to-consumer genetics and cryptography yes. to uh, create a privacy-focused personal genomics company. Yep, yep. <laughs> the, f the fact that cost is decreasing, but privacy is increasing adds <laughs> privacy concerns. Yeah, yeah. The co the, that complication is, is ironic. Um, but there's a lot of you know, spiritual awakening that humanity can do to make it easier for, for people to not be as at fear, for there to be less malevolence, for there to be more benevolence and, and, and kindness, and therefore then the privacy decrease, the concerns decrease as well. And okay, so now as you start personal genomics company with Nebula Genomics, now and we have we have we have slides to to bring up along the way as well. You know, the big why this is a this is a huge deal. Like you were indicating for you and George, you guys just wanting to see this cost go from a hundred million dollar sequence down to zero. And that's because we gained so much valuable insight. So tell us more about this big why and eradicating disease this collective intelligence that we get to have, all of these points are so interesting about yeah. the big why. Yeah, so your DNA is essentially your blueprint, right? Uh, it makes you unique. Uh, if you had an identical twin, he would be identical to you because of your DNA, because that's what you share. Um, and uh, as, as seen on this slide, uh, your, your DNA defines a lot about you. It totally, completely defines your looks, your, your physical appearance. Uh, it becomes increasingly clear that also your personality, your tastes, things like that are strongly influenced by, um, by your genetics. Um, then your health, um, things like you know, disease risks, for example, predispositions to certain types of cancers or diseases you know, like Alzheimer's. Uh, they have also very strong uh, genetic component. Um, and you know, ancestry, uh, obviously, also something that has been you know, driving people to purchase different types of genetic tests. Um, and I think what's important to keep in mind when thinking about uh, all those different points is that we still don't understand most of the human genome. It's six billion bases, and we do not know what most of them do. Um, and to get to that point, <laughs> and to get to that point that we actually do understand more of it, we yeah, need yeah. generate more data and uh, share that data with researchers who, for example, can use that data to find new correlations between certain traits, either it can be disease predispositions, for example, and, and, and genetics. Uh, so this is an ongoing process. There are studies published essentially every day that, uh, that shine more and more light on so far unknown parts of the human genome. So for, for an individual who gets sequenced, uh, it's not just you know, a one-time thing. You get sequenced, you get some kind of report, and then you're done with it, right? That, that's not how it is. It's really a kind of you set on a journey. You start a journey. Yeah. You, get, you, get your, you get your data, you get your genome, you get your initial results, but more results are coming out every day. Um, you don't just take the blueprint and just put it on the shelf and exactly. you're done with it. You constantly exactly. get more and more you, insight. You start to start, a, you know, essentially, I guess, a process of lifelong learning about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, that, that's what genomics essentially enables. It's uh, uh, to even, even, I mean, today, kind of 
you can already get a lot of insight from it, but what you need to have is this long-time perspective, what you will over learn about time. over time, how yeah. much you will learn about it. Yeah. And, and you know, this, the pace of research uh, is accelerating. We discussed the earlier kind of mm -hmm. age, age of biotech, genomics. Uh, so more and more, so essentially your genome will become more and more useful to you as the time progresses. Yeah, yeah, this, oh, 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 this, this added dimension of time is so important to, to, to put into the healthcare equation. Because if you're constantly observing your body, uh, all your biometrics over time, you're able to predict pathologies developing, you're able to tackle them, you're retaining youthful homeostatic capacity, all these cool things that can enable you to be healthier, longer, more creative, experience more things. These are, these are very um, major pillars of the anti-aging community's drive and desire as well. And I love how you call it a blueprint. You know, it's like understanding yourself. Uh, and, and this is a very beautiful part of it. You know, for the last six million years of evolution, there was never a time that you could take the DNA and sequence it. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I gave those examples with, you know, chemistry, physics, and so on. And so far, it has been kind of more about understanding nature. And now we're at a point where we're actually understanding ourselves. And because of that, I think the current, you know, age of biotech can, to us, to us as, you know, humans, humanity can be, you know, will be more impactful than uh, potentially than everything that came before it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love it, I love it. Okay, let's, um, on the next slide that we have, this was kind of another one of these big, huge, like, moments for me. When this, the curve in terms of people that are, partaking in getting their genetic sequenced is just it's going up so fast yeah and then the issue comes up like you've indicated earlier that people are hold breaks what's happening with this data yeah are are am i owning it do you own it are you selling it is the government involved and so then there there's the breaks happened and now it's like let's think about this yeah yeah, so, yeah, as you said, you know, uh, the adoption is growing. More and more people are aware of the opportunity to get uh, genetic tests. So this curve actually not shows real sequencing data, but actually just genotyping data, which is, you know, still a genetic test, but a much lower resolution. Uh, but still, the availability of genetic tests, uh, um, people are increasingly aware of it and use this opportunity to learn of those various things, like, you know, health and ancestry and, you know, various, various traits. Um, and it's great that you know it has been an exponentially uh, growing space. The more data generated, the better. It, you know, sharing data is also good. Uh, but questions, uh, as you said, you know, are now coming up. Is there enough transparency? Who is really making the decisions whether data shared or not? And um, for one, there are just those concerns that have been created that deter many people from from getting any kind of genetic tests. And in addition to those concerns. There's an open question, are those risks real? Can, for example, someone be denied insurance based on genetics? Or can anything else bad happen if you know, we do not uh, you know, emphasize more and how important pr privacy of genetic data is and give people an opportunity to protect it? Yeah, and in that next slide is all of the crazy headlines as well of... Yeah, yeah this, this just illustrates that how much attention the space is getting. Um, I mean, so if you, you know, if you 
look at uh, what what you know the age of internet has brought us uh, uses dna to track people yeah this type of stuff is is <laughs> nuts We're, our 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 devices are already uh, give us the location data all the time can, yeah. You can, yeah 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 so what people i think come to understand today is that they are many organizations that just like to track them often you know to monetize <laughs> their data whether it's you know google facebook and others yeah. uh, often it's you know about uh, targeted advertising and things like that um, and then if they think uh, about what you know what's the most personal data that i own it's probably not my search history but it's, it's my dna and there are companies that might be interested in monetizing that then they get very very nervous about this <laughs> and Headlines like that, there's just countless uh, headlines like that all over the internet. Uh, yeah. Many articles being you know, written literally every day about, uh, about some personal genomics companies either being hacked or just kind of using the data in a way that, that people find concerning. Um, yeah, yeah, this is, this is nuts. And as you said, you know, in addition to just these companies, there are also governments uh, getting involved yeah. increasingly. Um, uh, so the year 2018 was a year when uh, I think in the U.S. in particular the law enforcement discovered how useful genomic databases oh can be. Oh my gosh, this point <laughs> is crazy. Yes, yeah. teach us. Um, which is, um, well, the basic idea there is that, you know, there are many unsolved crimes that might have been committed decades ago. Um, so you have a crime, crime scene uh, and, you know, a sample that you found uh, uh, on that crime scene. So a biological sample from which you can extract a DNA that potentially belongs to, to the suspect. Uh, but how do you find that suspect with just a DNA in hand? You need some kind of a database to match it against. And today uh, we are at a point where we have tens of millions of people who got a genetic test. So as a, you know, law enforcement, uh, like you know, police or FBI, what you can do, you can take that sample, go to that database, try to match it against that database to either find that individual in that database because that individual got a test at some point, but that's not even necessary because it's already enough if just a distant relative of that individual got, a data got that test, so you get a partial match. You can connect with that relative and then through this collaboration of that relative, yeah. try to trace back the actual um, yeah, yeah. criminal. So the first famous case was, you know, the Golden State Killer in California um, that, that, that attracted a lot of attention. But since then, there were like really dozens of additional cases, uh, which is, you know, generally a good thing, right? When those decade-old cases are being solved and, you know, those murderers apprehended. Yes, yeah. uh, but the problem is that the way that it's done uh, is uh, it's at costs of people's privacy. So the law enforcement just issues subpoenas to uh, personal genomics uh, companies, accesses the databases um, without really asking people for permission whether the data can be used. I think most people would kind of agree that you know they won't, won't, would want to help uh, apprehend the suspects, but this practice today you know lacks trans transparency and lacks um, lacks you know. It lacks the respect of people's privacy, which which way is concerned, and then of course other countries like uh, China, where uh, and you know s some other countries that are more authoritarian, um, where uh, genomic databases are used in, them in in much more concerning ways than, than they are today in the U.S. Just when you, when you're saying that that story, the third cousin can if they got sequenced that that how many how many more people does that basically bring into the genetic pool that didn't even didn't even say that they wanted to be sequenced yeah so, so there was an I believe a recent study in science uh, that showed that with the currently existing databases that uh, 
about you know, 20 million people or so, already 60% of the US population can essentially be identified indirectly by you know, having just your cousin in the database. So we are, uh, I guess, already at the yeah. point where it's kind of too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, way, that 23 million is just US? No, that's, is that world? Um, it's, uh, it's, um, it, it's globally, but the US, in terms of direct-to-consumer genetics, has been um, you know, high, leading, high. dominating. Maybe um, like 5 million of those have been in the US? Or well, I think like maybe over 90% of them have been in the US. 90% yeah. of those. Okay, so then with 20 million, let's say, sequences, you can have, let's say, almost 100, if, if 70 million um, people be identified yeah yeah i mean i think over half of the u.s population over yeah. 150 million people can be traced back i mean that's what the study says um that's crazy yeah. and they didn't even opt into the system yeah, yeah that's, that's an interesting thing about dna right for example you share your dna with your mother with your father with your siblings so if you decide to take a test uh you're actually sharing their dna yeah, without yeah, yeah, actually yeah, ever yeah. asking them that's crazy um, and it, it adds a like, really interesting kind of, kind of privacy consent aspect to anything involving yeah, involving yeah. genetics because your your dna is not yours alone you share it with a lot of people interesting yeah so the consent question like who would have thought that you'd have to go ask your family if you could get your genome sequence yeah i mean you today you don't have to this you know no regulations that tell you you need to ask them before you yeah. get a genetic <laughs> test so it's a gray area that so far has been not regulated um, in any way yeah Wow. Okay. And then now, now, okay. In the next, in the next couple, what is, what is that? What is that, Ronnie? You have like a whole big, yeah, it's, um, my brother did a legacy tree genealogist and he's real into, you know, where we're from and Jono did. Yeah. Interesting. I've yet to read this. I don't care. There's going to be stuff in here that I don't like. I'm probably from some crazy people. <laughs> you know? What so, was it called? Genealogy? Legacy, Legacy tree? tree. Genealogist. Well, actually, I don't know this one. Interesting. Uh, but there, there are now many, many, many personal genomics companies. Like Ancestry. Yeah. Same yeah, thing, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. Well, William, we're going to break down the differences, too. Um, Ron, let's go to the next slides, too. Because... I want to I wanna be explaining this with the visuals as we go. Um, you kind of broke this down already. We're understanding the disease. You can teach us, definitely teach us more. Well, actually, this would probably be a good time to explain the difference between um, what Ancestry and 23andMe do, um, which is, oh, you were teaching me earlier, there's, if there's six billion bases and that you have to get those individual data points, that, 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 if you only get 500,000 of those, of those most, you can call it like a Pareto principle, like you're looking for the slots that have the highest chance of having a, a, a mutation that makes a disease happen. Yeah. And so there's a difference between doing it that way, which is what 23andMe and, and Ancestry do, versus your way, which is a whole genome. A, it's a low pass whole genome sequence. Yeah. And then how does that affect then the diseases, the drugs, trials? Right. Um, so, you know, the genetic data that is being generated and, you know, if it's being shared, it can um, uh, help advance, you know, just basic research, uh, helping just better understand human genetics, you know, our blueprints 
and that knowledge can use, be used, for example, for drug discovery, finding, for example, new correlations between a certain gene um, and a certain medical condition. Then you could, after that, develop like a small molecule, a drug that will target that protein that's you know being produced from that gene, um, and that's kind of early stage of the drug discovery process. And then at the genomic data can also be used at later stages, you know, for example, during clinical trials, um, where um, we have a problem today that the drug development costs keep increasing, uh, more, more and more drugs are failing. Uh, and that's partially due to yeah. still our approach that we're pursuing that one drug fits all, which is not necessarily true because we are different. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So how do we build drugs for that, that are personalized, that we know work for those you know, sp specific groups of people. And to do that, you need essentially to incorporate genomic data in your drug discovery pipelines and your clinical trials. To, uh, and, and, and if you do that, you can have you know, smaller clinical trials. Uh, you recruit only specific people who have you know, specific genetic, genetic uh, variants in their genome that you believe will, be, uh, will, will respond uh, to the treatment. Uh, and you will have higher ch success rates because of that. So this is essentially the path towards personalized medicine, where not just everyone gets prescribed the same drug, but based on your, your genetic background. Now, uh, the question that you brought up before, how is it the data that we're generating different from the data that most other personal genomics companies are generating? Um, so we use this more novel technology called next-generation DNA sequencing, which um, which essentially can be used to read almost all six billion pages, more than six billion bases in the human genome. Uh, what most other personal genomics companies are doing, they are essentially just getting a snapshot. They're reading out only about less than 0.1% of your whole genome. It's like, you know, it's like you read a book and you read only one letter every 10 pages, and then you try to figure out the rest. <laughs> so you can imagine that that's difficult and you miss a lot, while we are literally trying to read the whole book. Um, and uh, we are at a point in time where this is possible at an affordable uh, cost. Because but those single letters are also very meaningful, which is why they, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they are many meaningful. I mean, this yes. data that has been generated is useful, yes. but it, it, it has its limitations. Yes, yes. Um, and um, with next generation DNA sequencing, we can essentially overcome um, those limitations. For example, in academic lab, next generation DNA sequencing has already completely replaced genotyping. It's genotyping is just not, not used anymore. Um, and wow. the same thing uh, will happen, uh, I think, most definitely in the direct-to-consumer market as well, because the prices just keep approaching uh, each other, and at some point, it just won't make any sense anymore to just you know, read less than 0.1% of the genome, where you can do the whole thing almost at the same cost. And we're getting to that point. Now, Dennis, let me ask you this, then, if, you, if when you're looking at the entire, um, almost the entire six billion bases, are you passing, when you're doing this, this low pass one time, do you, those 500,000 or so that, that have a, a high propensity for having a, a, a variation that causes um, uh, something bad, that do you can, you, can you focus more of your attention on that to make sure you get the right uh, letter? Yeah, so with this, this next generation DNA thing, which you can combine both, essentially random sampling of the whole genome at low coverage, okay. uh, but you can also focus more on certain genes that are of, of you know, kind of more importance. There's, for example, a set of 59 genes called SCMG59 that are, that are defined as being um, particularly important because if you find something in those genes, there's actually actionable steps you can take for example, to prevent uh, uh, you know, getting sick 
or do we be able to receive a therapy? Uh, so we can, for example, do whole genome at low pass, um, at low coverage from that, get your answers to get a lot of you know, fun facts, but then focus on you know, a small subset of genes that are particularly important to get, um, to get you, you know, health-related information that might be very important to you. Um, and, but, but, but at the end of the day, this is just a, a, a temporary, I think, solution because what you want to do in the end is really sequence the whole genome at high coverage. At high coverage. And that's, that's a product that will be launching soon. So to, today what you can buy, if you go to the Nebula website, is you know, this low-pass whole genome sequencing, but it will start offering high coverage whole genome sequencing soon as well. Interesting. So you, you can actually get an action item even from the low pass, you can get an action item that you can maybe through a process of, of maybe exercise or nutrition or whatever it may be that you could um, slowly become less and less likely to develop a disease. Yeah. And that this type of is like this is big. This is a big part of the why for people is that you can um, take action with your blueprint and and um, and better uh, and live healthier throughout your life. Then. Yeah, this is going to be crazy when the high-resolution uh, uh, yeah. whole so genomes Yeah, so we are coming. being a little bit careful with, you know, with the low-pass sequencing, uh, when, especially when people try, when we give people the data and they try to extract health information from it, we tell them this is only 99% accurate, so be careful if you find something you know, uh, go to a physician to confirm it. Uh, or just wait for, for our high coverage sequencing product for which we'll be able to tell, you know, this 99.999% accuracy uh, whether, you know, you have a certain, uh, certain variant or not. Yes, yes. Okay. And um, let's go to the next image, Ronnie. So this is, this is really interesting. When you, when, when you were teaching me about this, I was thinking that there was a, a like a, like this is almost as though it's it's like shattering all of the data silos. That's what I love about Nebula. I love shattering data silos because in, it, across every single field um, of science, uh, the more that we can work on a transparent and open level, uh, the faster we can advance the edge of science. The more we can understand about ourselves, yeah. and and so okay. So you're when 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 I when I submit, you know, the link to Nebula Genomics is below. But when when I when I submit um, a payment, right now it's only like twenty bucks. Yeah. Right. It's only twenty bucks right now, and then I get your saliva kit, and then I submit. The, I submit my saliva to you, then you guys do low-pass sequencing, and then you are working on how to anonymize that most effectively yeah. right now. So we are working on um, several complementary approaches to make sure that your privacy and your data are essentially protected throughout, uh, throughout the whole process. Um, so the first feature that we're working on right now is just making it anonymous which means that we want to enable you to get sequenced, um, or get the test, get the results, without us even knowing who you are. Uh, and, and this means that you should be able to pay for your sequencing anonymously, and you should be able to receive your saliva collection kit an anonymously and submit it to us without us knowing your name, your credit card number, your address, any identififiable information. Um, wow. So, so that's, that's you, when uh, you pay with cryptocurrency. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's one option, right? So we... we uh, um, that's the first step, right? You, you get the data is generated uh, anonymously. The second step is once the data is generated, how do we make sure that you are in control of your data? 
um, and you know, you're the only one who can decide what happens to it. Um, there are several approaches there that we can take. For example, we can just encrypt it, give you the password, and you're essentially the only one who has an, be able to decrypt it. It has some disadvantages because as a user, if you lose password, your data is gone. We cannot reset your password if, yes. we, if, we, if we are unable to do that. An alternative is to split your password essentially in multiple pieces and get those pieces to multiple independent organizations, which can, for example, be nonprofit uh, groups that support biomedical research. So this way you dist distribute trust. There's no longer a single party that you need trust. Um, and uh, your data can be only decrypted and made accessible if there's you know, consent between those parties that you know, this use case is uh, you know, uh, warranted and the, the researcher who requesting access is, can, can be trusted. Uh, so for that, we use this you know, um, multi-party access control, as I just described, and blockchain to actually communicate permissions communicate consent so you can for example say I allow you know John Doe from that pharma company to use my data yes. add that entry to the blockchain and those, those multiple parties who hold the keys can read out this entry from the blockchain see that you gave the permission then decrypt your data and give permission to the John Doe from from the pharma company very um, interesting that's so you you have these are like valves yeah. that you get to control the the flow of your of your uh, genomic data for for research yeah yeah so that's the second step essentially enabling controllability and transparency which you know blockchain helps us uh, accomplish both and then the third step is that once you decided to share your data with that researcher how do you make sure that it's not misused um, and there are several approaches there as well so the most basic one is just instead of giving your data to that researcher, you bring the computations to the data. So essentially ask the researcher, what do you want to compute? Uh, give us your, your algorithms. We will run them uh, ourselves on that data and return you only the results. Wow. Uh, so that's you know, the most basic way to, uh, to protect the data privacy. And it can be uh, supplemented by some additional technologies. For example, today, most of those computations happen in clouds, right? Like you know, Google Cloud, AWS, mm -hmm. and then the question might come up, how do you make sure you trust Google and you trust Amazon? Uh, because they are the ones storing the data and computing on the data. Um, and to address that issue, uh, some other technologies can be used. One of them, um, well, which are generally called essentially privacy-preserving technologies. And at the core uh, of those technologies, the idea of computing on encrypted data. Actually, uh, having data in an encrypted form never actually decrypting it. So, you know, the cloud storage provider can actually never see the data, but still a query or a, or a pipeline can be executed on the data. Some result can be generated, which is also encrypted and also not visible to the storage and computing provider. Oh. And the encrypted result mm -hmm. can be then shared with the researcher and the researcher is able to decrypt the result and, you know, see uh, what he wanted to find out. And through the process, essentially, no one has seen the data. You have a ton of possible possibilities to explore here. You yeah. may even go with multiple ways of. Yeah, that's an important point because all of those things are complementary. It's 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 they they not replace each other. You know, this first one enables anonymity. Then blockchain is about transparency and control, and the third one is about actually protecting privacy of shared data. Yeah. Uh, and you know, an ideal system will be combining all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It's so interesting hearing you talk about all of the different ways that this can be done. I love it. I love it. And, and it's very exciting to think about what the, like kind of what the iterations are going to be like with, with, this, with this anonymity, control, and security, um, all of these components.
Okay, um, let's go uh, to the next one. Now, this is again, this is one of the, you know, that was one of the, the, the highest privacy, the highest concern was privacy for people not um, doing the, um, getting involved in testing. This image is extremely interesting to me because I am so excited about learning about what people are actually doing with the data. Like, I'm just thinking about these devices that we use all the time, but we have no idea how the data is really being used. The closest you get is like your GPS, you get to know when there's traffic on the road. That's because people are sharing the data and you've learned that, yeah. right? But this is so cool because I can actually learn what research is being done using my biometrics yeah. and then I can engage with the researchers and it becomes like a whole learning. I love learning, right? So this becomes a whole learning and engagement process with science. Yeah, 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 that's an important point. I mean, all those technologies they described on, on, on the previous slide, additional challenge is really how do you explain them to the users? How do you make the user understand and trust that those technology will protect uh, you know, your, your, your genomic data? So the challenge is not only implementing the technologies, but actually translating them into a as, as I call it, transparency-centered user experience. And this slide just shows uh, how our UI looks like, where you know, researchers can communicate uh, relatively directly with, you know, with different uh, individuals on the platform who can remain anonymous through the process, uh, but then you know, learn about who is talking with them, uh, you know, who the researcher is, where he works, what he wants to use the data for, and then you know, consent or not consent for the data to be used for that particular purpose. And as you mentioned correctly, it's not just about kind of one way, just the researcher communicating with the, with the individual, but after the data has been shared and some study is done, uh, so that the individuals actually receive some feedback and can, you know, can learn about what was accomplished with their help. Uh, and we think that really engaging that people uh, this way is re really important to make them participate in research and creating such a much more consumer or patient-centric platform is, 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 uh, is a core, core approach to, to, to accomplishing this. Yeah, and it even potentially goes into the sphere of the more that you uh, give your, open your valves and let the, the data flow for research, the more that you can potentially earn. You can potentially earn these credits on yeah. your platform. Yeah, teach us about the credit system. Yeah, it's, it's actually quite interesting. Uh, so this option exists, uh, people can, can earn uh, if, if they wish to. Uh, we did a survey and actually found out that many people are willing to share the data for purely altruistic reasons. That's simply, so simply because they, you know, they want to help researchers, they want to help find cures yes. for, for diseases, yes. but they want to stay in control of the data. They, want, they do not want to disappear in a black hole and then don't know what happens <laughs> with it. Uh, so they want full control, full transparency, and then I think there's you know, a high level of altruism. Um, and, but yes, this option exists, and I think some people will take this option, especially if they are in contact with you know, pharma companies. Uh, and then you know get get actually asked to be paid uh, for for giving access to the data, um, and uh, for that we use you know our credit system, which uh, which uh, you know are based on on, a, on our cryptocurrency on, on our blockchain that can be you know transferred between uh, between those researchers uh, and the individuals and the people who earn those credits can then um, use them to purchase uh, various things uh, on our platform. Um, so, for example, even today, if you already go to nebula.org, register, um, you can earn credits by just answering basic surveys about your health. 
and you can in and doing other things like for example referring friends and you can in fact today earn enough credits to get free low pass whole genome sequencing yeah. and over time there will be you know more things added that you can just buy with the earned credits um, which can be you know additional analytics or you know it can be even things as you know gift cards that you can just you know take to Amazon or some whatever platform and then you just buy something for with it. Um, yep. Yeah. It's it's also great to hear that there's a the altruistic component is is coming up that the people are like I don't need the credits just yeah. you know just get the scientific research done that yeah. needs to be done to help. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a very important point. You know when 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 kind of news stories about you know a pharma company buying a lot of genomic data, there's kind of a lot of backlash against this. It's not about people do not want to the data to be used for research, it's about no, that nobody asks them, that it happens in an intransparent way and they don't know what's going on. Uh, so that's a core issue that needs to be addressed and then I think many people will be you know, gladly willing to share the data with academic or you know, industry researchers. And the inclusive stakeholding too, that, that if, if, you, if, you can, if you at least give the people the option and say, hey, we're already making 20 million dollars on this data set being purchased for use in testing would you like a tiny little cut because you know of this of this amount of money uh, it's just like you know looping yeah. people in as inclusive stakeholders yeah and you know in our case it you know it won't be a tiny little cut as we uh, we plan to give you know the users uh, the largest uh, sh uh, portion of you know whatever the pharma company is paying uh, to get access. So we we not we, we ourselves not you know s we are, what's important is we are not in the business of taking ownership of that data. We are rather creating the infrastructure Correct. to enable the researchers to access a network of people, uh, and then they can ask those people whether they can have access to their data. So uh, we will charge pharma companies for giving them access to that network, but the pharma companies wouldn't actually pay the individual users for getting access to the data. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a big uh, ethical stance that you take, and we we love that a lot. That's very very powerful. Um, if we can get more people realizing that that these ideas are coming through them to provide the idea to the world, and not for them to earn material in the in the world, that 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 I think we'll have a better society from that. Dennis, I want to know what's your. Um, you know, the, the last slide that we have is, is your team. And, you know, uh, as you said earlier, you and Kamal, as well as George, are doing the, the, the co-founding of, of Nebula. How big is the team now with, with, besides you three, how large is the team? I think we are 14 people right now. 14? Yeah. Yeah, that's a big team already. Yeah. Yeah, we have been yeah. growing quickly. That's awesome. That's so good to hear. Um, and in just, yeah, in just two years since conception to now, that's, that's awesome. Um, I want to know what do you, how do you feel about the these like ethical considerations that are happening around uh, you obviously very much you know so you, privacy privacy of course of course but at the same time this is kind of like <clears throat> like synthetic biology is another one of these explosive fields like artificial intelligence and, and neuroscience that is that has malevolent actors can gain lots of power in the in the field so how do you how do you feel about our ability to like fend that off and how can we do that best well in terms of genomic data and I think health data in general there's a trend right now to make uh, the individuals uh, you know the owners of their own data and the controllers of their own data and I think that's a very good trend from which not only the people themselves will, will uh, benefit, uh, but actually 
uh, kind of legitimate users who, who uh, researchers uh, in, in academia or industry who'd want to get access to that data because for them it's also much better to get access to an individual and to be able to generate data on demand rather than you know get access to kind of a static data set that was kind of obtained in shady ways. Uh, and a user is much more valuable than just such a static piece of data. Um, so it's a trend uh, I think that is good for everyone. Um, it's good you know for privacy. Uh, it's good also for just facilitating research and you know getting people more engaged. Uh, and it's only not good for people who or entities who would like to you know take uh, take you know people's data and then just monetize it for their own gain in you know often in very intransparent yeah. and and uh, not ethical ways. Do, and then doesn't it doesn't part of like the whole movement towards transparency? Like, like sometimes I envision a, a very you know spiritually actualized and awakened world where there aren't these malevolences and then you can be radically transparent like your data can live even without potentially being anonymized is that like an imaginative future that you can also think is is uh is it possible yeah i mean that's an open question right so we have been talking about possible risks uh, like you know governments using the data, the risk of discrimination, like for example by insurance companies. The question is, are those risks real? Will there be you know, people affected in the future uh, by that if we don't implement uh, you know, different privacy protection mechanisms yeah. or not? Um, and people feel in different ways about that. Um, there's, for example, another project uh, also started by George. It's called Personal Genome Project. And there it's all about transparency. It's also a genomics project, essentially. And people who participate in that, they make the genomes essentially public on the internet. Yeah. Um, and for free to use for, for everyone without any uh, restrictions. So interesting. And some, some people are, you know, fine with that. They, they, they are not worried. And maybe they're right. Maybe the, the, we, are, we are overestimating the risks. We don't know. Yeah. But um, what I was thinking is that we need to be able to address the concerns. Otherwise, that just the progress will be hindered. Right. Uh, because yeah. uh, and people are concerned, that's just, just a matter of fact. And to get them more engaged in research, to, me, to, in, to, in, to convince them to share the data, uh, we do need to address those concerns. Otherwise, research will just end and yeah. progress will stagnate. Yeah. This is a good to see the contrasting the personal genome project with yeah. nebula genomics. Yeah. Yeah. Which, is, which are both, you know, uh, good projects and just yes, yes. addressing different audiences. Correct. Great. And yeah. that way the scientific progress can just keep moving. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Now, um, what would be a, a something that, you know, going into the exponential age, AI age, that you would recommend children to learn, that you'd recommend parents to teach kids, parents to learn themselves as well? That's a good question. Um, uh, to me personally, it has been very helpful uh, to um, to have, I would say, even if not deep knowledge, but at least some understanding of, of uh, different fields. So in my case, it's you know it's it's yeah. genomics, uh, but on the other hand, you know it's computer science. Uh, over the past couple of years, it's become you know cryptography increasingly, yeah. and that just enables you to just bring things together in a way that. Uh, most people are not able to, and by doing that, you can um, you can um, you know address previously uh, unsolved issues. I, I just spoke a few days with someone who uh, who you know was I believe interviewing some you know really famous Nobel Prize winning physicists and you know, really smart people, but then found that they just 
don't understand, you know, basics of biology, like how, how some very basic things work. And that, you know, that person told me, like, I was so surprised. How can they possibly not know things people learn in high school? Those guys, you know, won, you know, prizes, you know, Nobel Prizes in physics. Um, and we can't know it all. If you knew everything, you'd be the most hated person in the world. Yeah, but That's why we all have to work together. We have to respect each other's individual intelligence and bring it all together. Otherwise, we're doomed. This is a very interesting point about you know, how a Nobel Prize laureate um, may not know a high school level in a different field. This, he, you know, the multidisciplinary a perspective, having your lens that you see the world with multiple disciplines is so crucial. I love how you said that. And if we can, you know, put that into into play in this exponential technology age, I think. Yeah. We'll, yeah. yeah. So, so to answer your question more briefly and directly, I think it's very beneficial to have relatively shallow knowledge, but knowledge of you know different areas. And what can that can the way you can, for example, accomplish that is you know talking with people. From, from different fields, uh, you know, as, as a physicist, talk with b b biologists and talk yes. with chemists, yes. uh, have you know basic understanding what's going on in those areas, and sometimes you could really come across something to which maybe you can apply your knowledge in your in your field that you're an expert on to solve a previously uh, that's right. problem that those people right. in those other fields have not been able to address before. The, the creative. Uh, uh, it helps so much with new creative thinking and out-of-the-box thinking. People in one industry thinking a certain way, someone from a different industry comes in and says, hey, have you thought about it this way? Exactly. Boom. This is very beautiful stuff. Dennis, some questions at the end of the show are simulation questions. Let's ask you, first question, are we alone in the cosmos? <laughs> well, I mean... Um, I read about, you know, you know, what's the name of this paradox? Fer Fermi paradox? Yeah, Fermi paradox that, you know, it's, it's uh, statistically very improbable that we are alone. Uh, there are probably some issues why, you know, no, nobody ever contacted us. The distance maybe one. Uh, maybe someone's watching us and we just don't know. So, so who, who knows? Um, uh, it would certainly be very exciting if we found out one day. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how about show simulation? So we'll ask you, are we in a simulation? Oh, that's even, that's even crazy. <laughs> um, I would like to believe that we are not. <laughs> um, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, if it is a simulation, it's a really good simulation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one has so far been, you know, be able to peek, uh, take a look past, uh, past, you know, uh, <laughs> past, you know the code that is running. Ron's pierced the bell. See the arrows yeah. in the matrix. You can see the arrows in the matrix, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> I'm not supposed to talk about it. I see them. Dirty rat bastards. <laughs> it's a pretty good simulation. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. Uh, that's good. Hopefully, you know, with science, science is such a cool tool that if we can probe at the, at the simulation and test, that'd be very interesting. And the last question we ask on the show is, what is the most beautiful thing in the world?
Well, I don't know what is the most beautiful thing in the world, but I can tell you something that is very beautiful from you know, a scientist's perspective. Um, I think when you have, you're trying to solve a problem and you, know, you have a hypothesis that you kind of start, start doing your research based on, and so you, do, you do really a set of experiments and validate that hypothesis step by step, and then in the end you discover something novel, and then, you know, that's so beautiful, and you feel like you advanced human knowledge by, you know, a little bit. And, you know, that makes one uh, very happy. And, you know, I think that's one beautiful thing. Yes, yes. You're adding to the foundation of collective learning and uh, with obje objectively, and this is very important, with, with reproducibility, it's very important. We had a, one of our previous guests was explaining it like you have a, 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 you're on a big, big beach with sand and then what you do is you add one cup of sand to the, <laughs> to the beach. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of work for one cup of, adding one cup of sand to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> some, some ideas are breakthrough though, like whoever Satoshi Nakamoto and blockchain technology is, has been, you know, maybe a truckload of sand on yeah. the beach potentially. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a trade-off, right? If you, know, if you lived like a few thousand years ago, the beach was pretty small back then. It was yes. easy to add a lot yes, to it. Yes, yes, yes. Today, it's much harder, uh, but the advantage is that we you know, just live in a, in a better world and you know, benefit from all that science that was added <laughs> to the beach. Yeah, yeah. They keep the only, only the highest signal and least amount of noise on, on, the, on the foundation of knowledge. Dennis, we love your work very much. This has been such an honor. Thank you for coming on to our show. It was my pleasure. Thank you. We're very appreciative. Keep up the great work. Thanks. We're all counting on you. I will do my best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great that your team's so big now and that you're doing this work. Everyone, check out the links below. We would love for you to check out Nebula Genomics. Also, go and have more conversations with people about what it's like to have your personal blueprint sequence so you can better understand it and so that we can contribute to this foundation of collective knowledge. Talk to your family, your friends, your communities, get more people talking about this, about the biotech explosion. Huge shout out to Ron Vargas, our producer and director. Much love, thank you very much. And support the artists and entrepreneurs that you believe in. Nebula's links are below, Simulation, our links are below. Support us, help us grow. We would love to have you more involved in our community. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you so much, we will see you soon. Peace. Thank you.